Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. That's me. This is going to be the one and only midweek for at least 14 days or so, as my wife and I are heading to Bulgaria to go and visit a future adoptive child that we um, will get to spend a week with and then tear our hearts away and then hopefully sometime around may go back and bring home with us. That's the plan, God willing. But because we're going to be gone, today is going to be a midweek double feature. So we're going to have a Wisdom Wednesday, and then I'm going to talk about culture, which will be my last uh, podcast, Thinking About Culture, uh, with you. So Wisdom Wednesday, which verse are we looking at? Today is a simple verse from Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, and it says this, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. I'll read it one more time. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. In context, the um, Solomon is, is trying to convince young people, specifically young men, to embrace a biblical idea of sexuality that it should be restrained within covenant marriage and a joyful, delightful covenant marriage. Um, Previously, I think I've done a podcast on this one already. Uh, Solomon says, I want you to be intoxicated with your wife's love. That's what he says to young men. Don't go around chasing other men's wives. Don't go around just looking to, uh, he uses the picture, throw your water all over the the place. Um, As in like just spending your sexual desire on things that won't satisfy you as well as won't be fruitful for you. So instead, get married, uh, be massively in love with your wife, and have kids with her instead of just cruising for destructive pleasure. And one of the reasons he uses to um, try to convince the young man of these things is this this reality. He says, "A, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. And so this is part of developing the fear of the Lord. You may remember from the beginning of Proverbs that the book says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the start of knowledge. And so here is one aspect of developing the fear of the Lord in your heart or in my heart is to remember that no matter where I go or what I do, God is watching and he's watching intently. It's not like he's on his smartphone sending texts to the Holy Spirit and I'm off in the corner kind of doing my thing. And unless I'm making a big noise and a big ruckus or breaking a vase or something like that, uh, God is just content to let me do my own thing. No, he says the truth is, is that God is fully aware of everything I'm doing fully all the time. So think about it. And, uh, and so this, this knowledge is sometimes, or this truth about God is sometimes called as omniscience or his omnipresence. He's there all the time, everywhere, and he knows what's going on all the time, everywhere. And this reality goes in two different directions in Scripture. Kind of the idea is, is this, this fact about God being everywhere and knowing everything, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, this proverb emphasizes it's a bad thing if you want to get away with sin. And so he's confronting this young man who you can always kind of picture he has this appetite for woman, appetite for woman wherever he can get it, even if it means leaving his marriage um, or breaking somebody else's marriage to get it. And he, and he warns him, you just won't get away with this. It's, it's actually impossible to get away with this because the Lord's eyes are on a man's ways. All of a man's ways are before the Lord. 
and he ponders all of his past. He, he's always watching. He's always thinking about you. So you got to take that little lie in your head that I can get away with this or I can hide this. Either before something's happened or after something's happened, you need to take that lie and just break it into pieces and grind it into powder and throw it over a creek and just get rid of it. God knows everything. And so the human, a human being never gets away with anything by trying to hide something or be secretive about something, which is a great reminder and part of the healing process about when we get stuck on, when, when people get stuck on things like watching dirty movies or pornography, and there can be this kind of demonic lie that enters into your head, like, oh, forget about it, nothing will happen, I'll just go on my computer, or after you're done, um, oh, I need to hide this so that something bad doesn't happen. Uh, well, God was watching God is thinking intently about what just happened, and God has a plan about what to do. And so this this idea that I can get away with it cannot be part of what we think. We need to really quickly confess, really quickly get walk in the light, seek the Lord's favor, humble ourselves. Um, the Word of God says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we need to choose to do whatever is the humble thing telling the truth, seeking help as soon as possible so that this God who knows everything about what we've done and what we're doing will give us grace instead of opposing us or um, fully disciplining us for what's happened. So in one sense, God's told knowledge is it, it, we need wisdom to live with it, and it's dangerous when we're trying to be liars, when we're trying to be proud and to um, privilege ourselves and conceal the truth. On the other hand, it can be such a huge source of feeling loved and praise to God. So I'm thinking about Psalm 139, written by Solomon's dad, David. It's a long psalm, so I won't repeat it, but maybe in a later podcast I will, where David is savoring his relationship with God because God knows him so well. Oh, Lord, you searched me. You know me. You, you've discerned my thoughts from afar. You know when I get up and when I lie down. And as David meditates on the thorough knowledge of God, um, he praises him. He says, these thoughts are so wonderful. I can't even begin to describe them. So it's really a love poem to the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God. And he's in love with God because God is everywhere and knows everything about him. So here's this wisdom. Know that God is everywhere and knows everything about you and live like it live like it. So say no to things that you are going to regret in the presence of God. Say no to things that you feel like you might have to hide. You know, you've got that kind of anxious, this I'm doing something naughty here, I might have to hide it. As soon as you think that, remember, you can't hide anything God's watching. And he's going to address it. On the other hand, you feel loved about that. Feel loved because God is always watching you, always near you. He's there to protect and deal with you for your good as we walk in faith with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Wisdom Wednesday, God knows everything. How do you want to live knowing that God knows everything about you? How do you want to live knowing that God thinks deeply about all of your ways all the time? And turn to him with faith and humility and he'll give you grace. So, there is your first installment of today's double feature here on the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. And so the next thing I want to do is I want to wrap up my discussion of culture. And we've talked about a few different things from culture. We've talked about how cultures uh, usually are built around some shared idea of authority. Who has the right to tell us what's true? 
Um, and for Christians, that should be the scriptures. It is the scriptures and it should be the scriptures. And that culture is built around trust. Who do we trust? And out of this develops, um, we have a shared sense of history. We have a shared sense of life together through, through daily activities, especially about the kind of food we eat. And we have a shared sense of destiny. Where are we going as a people? These are facets of culture. Um, and so I want to end today by talking about children. And this is a huge thing for a culture, their concept and their treatment of children. And there's a few different reasons. Number one is what we think about children uh, has a lot to do with our idea of sexuality and how men and women relate and how their sexual life should, should go and what's right and what's wrong. Every culture has a sense of what's right and what's wrong, even in the most extreme cases, like in some place in North America where you, some people might have a subculture that says everything is right sexually then what's wrong there? Well, saying that something's wrong is wrong. And so there's these, I, there's always ideas of what is right is what is wrong. And these uh, sexual ideas obviously impact children drastically. And also children are the future. So what you think your destiny is and your history is, um, will find expression through having children and how you raise children and education as well. Your uh, culture's values for education are all tied up with children and the kind of person that a culture is trying to turn a child into, raise a child into. So is it more important to learn math or music? Is it more important to study um, economics or just um, home ec? like home economics. So so these things are all part of how a, a culture views children, how they want to influence the future through children, and how they um, view sexuality in the light of children. So let's do some compare and contrast. Um, in the Old Testament times, ch- children were super highly valued. Um, having children was seen as uh, a real honor, especially for women. If in the Old Testament, as you read it, if a woman was barren, she felt deep shame about it. There's something wrong with her and maybe um, cursed by God or something like this. Um, there's just this deep sense of shame or a deep sense of desire for children. It was just part of that culture that um, women had children. And so um, th- th- there it is. It's just a fact, and you can find that in the scripture and for the men as well. Just this idea that, you know, if you're having children, um, you have a future. If you're having children, you, you're building a, a unit of faithfulness where sons honor their mother and father, children honor their, or daughters honor their mother and father, mothers and fathers take care of the children. And there's much more of a sense in the Old Testament that the family unit was the core of, of, uh, of life, how you do life together. And so as a man and a woman are adding children to their family, they're expanding this kind of core group of loyalty and protection. Um, and this is in the New Testament as well, but you can, you can actually feel it more as you read through the Old Testament that this was part of it. Now, contrast that to uh, Canadian culture where, yes, there are lots of places in Canada that would still highly value children, but other things have kind of pushed out the importance of having children or just the kind of unmitigated goodness of having children. So uh, personal sexual autonomy, so using technology such as the pill or condoms to prevent having children or pushing off children to a later date, um, economics, wanting a higher standard of living through pursuit of execution. Uh, education or careers. So, and this might impact our culture by having fewer children or children much later in life. Um, and 
um, just this sense that, you know, children aren't necessarily an unmitigated blessing and having lots of children is kind of crazy. And so, you know, even a generation or two ago in our neck of the woods here, Southeast Manitoba, having 10, 11 children was kind of normal for, for my wife's grandparents' generation to have eight or nine children was very normal. Now, if you have eight children, you're crazy. People will look at you funny. People say things like, don't you know where children come from? Or can't you stop this? Or, you know, they just assume that you kind of have some crazy worldview, like you're some religious thing. And, and, uh, and that that's, that is a shift in our culture, a devaluation of children. Um, so that if you have two, that's great. If you can get a boy, one boy and one girl, that they call that the million-dollar family or something like that, where, you know, you manage to have a boy and a girl with the least amount of attempts possible, and now you can get on with life. It's um, a bit cynical way of expressing it, but, you know, that many people fits in one car. So if you have eight kids, you're going to need a gigantic car, and as our culture is more and more um, dependent on travel, cheap travel and automobile automobiles then having lots of kids is harder to deal with and uh and just more expensive and so you can see in our culture that these things like ideas of sexuality and personal freedom in sexuality um ideas of having less kids is better or having no kids is great um they've come together to kind of make children less valuable now once the children are around we we do value them i'm not saying we're we're uh, treat them like they're nothing. But the, these are factors that actually reduce the amount of children in existence. Um, and it's hard to say you value something if you want a lot less of it. So there you go. Now, one of the things that um, children need is they need to be trained and brought up. This is just a fact. Um, and so this is the form we call it education. And so in our culture, we have a very secular education. We're trying to produce, as a country, secular kids. Uh, it's okay to believe what you want, said the prime minister recently, as long as it doesn't impact other people's lives. And, um, and so children are meant to be intended culturally um, as secular. So just the idea of kind of being... Um, you don't actually need to have any beliefs about God or an afterlife in order to be a good person or to contribute to our culture. And it's not like the government right now tries to um, let all options equally speak. This is kind of the main the main thing. To be secular is the main thing, and people can believe what they want to when they're not in school, but there you go. And that our culture has done a, actually a really good job of producing uh, secular adults. This is just a reality, and I think it's one of the biggest parts of the um, generational change that's happened in, the, in my lifetime, where, you know, when I was born, it was kind of expected that almost everybody would go to church, or at least my grandparents. Everyone would go to church in, in my family history, and then not so much in my parents' history, but they might still think church is a good thing. And then in my generation, you know, if you go to church, you're crazy. And this has a lot to do with the sculpting of child children's worldview and the kind of children that um, we've encountered been trying to produce. And we've been really effective at that. And so from a Christian perspective, I think we need to take education really seriously. We need to realize that education does work. And whatever kind of education people are receiving, it will have an impact. And so um, as, as people trying to... Um, have a Christian culture or Christian subculture within a larger culture, um, 
children, having, having children needs to be valued, even by people who aren't called to it by God. Um, God has different paths for different people. Sometimes he calls people to singlehood as a way for them to be close, more closely devoted to God and have more time for Jesus and to serve him in different ways. But I think every single Christian needs to have a great attitude about children. Jesus demonstrated having a radically high opinion of children and loving them. He said, if you can't become like a little child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So childlikeness is a prerequisite for being saved. And so every uh, Christian needs to actually love and foster childlikeness in the presence of God. And, you know, it would be a complete uh, mental separation to foster personal childlikeness and then to uh, resent or reject childhood as, as an actual thing that human beings go through. And so as a Christian, we should actually really value children. And that can involve having them, having lots of them. It can involve um, being uh, involved in the school system so that we are impacting children well. It can involve entering into the foster system and um, uh, adoption or supporting those who do these things and just loving children, knowing that they do grow up and their childhood lives majorly impact what happens in adulthood. And so we're always working on the next generation of culture as as people and as Christians. And we we can be intentional about making the future better by loving our kids, by having kids and by loving our kids. And so these are kind of some rambling thoughts, but every culture has children, a few or lots. And cultures that value children, both having them and raising them, have a future, and cultures that devalue children either by preventing them, aborting them, or um, raising them with a view of the future that's really pessimistic or really self-centered is really actually sabotaging the future of their culture. So here are some thoughts. I invite you to think about it, pray through it, and see what God would have you to do. So be blessed. I hope you enjoyed this double feature for the midweeks. Um, You can pray for me as you're inclined to do and my wife as we go on this trip. And we will talk to you again here on the midweeks. Be blessed.